Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Vandana Harris to the show. Vandana is the Managing Director of Investment Strategy for Unreasonable Group and is focused on driving investments to growth stage entrepreneurs across the globe. In 2020, she will spearhead the formation of Unreasonable Group's first global growth fund. Her career has spanned three continents and includes substantive investment management, private equity, M&A, and cross-border experience. Vandana has experience working in East Africa, London, New York, and Seattle. Van, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, I started my morning with a grateful um, meditation, and it really set the tone for what today is going to be be like. So yeah, feeling grateful, feeling blessed, um, and feeling ready to um, enjoy this conversation with you. Well, I appreciate that. And I think I started my morning on the same note. So we're both quite grateful. I appreciate it. So Van, where in the world are you? Uh, I am right now quarantined in uh, Bellevue, which is about uh, 10 miles east of Seattle. Um, I should have been in um, Kenya right now, which is where I grew up, um, visiting my family. But uh, given the circumstances, I'm staying put at least for the next few months here in Bellevue. And it's sunny today. So the myth about Seattle and its surroundings constantly being uh, wet, gray and rainy is just that, a myth. (laughs) Wow, that, that that is nice. I was up in that part of the world about 10 years ago. My wife and I made a trip and um, we were there end of September. We got out early October and I think we got out, it started raining the day we left and I heard it just continued rain all the way through the next three months. So I appreciate that. Well, you'll have to come back again. I will for sure. So Van, I like to open my show by asking my guest the following question. Mm-hmm. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? And you can't mention Kenya again. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> although that's, you know, sort of that's where my, my childhood That is was. interesting, yeah. yes. Yes. Um, I actually, which a lot of people wouldn't sort of think about looking at me, is um, I, I liked as a child to play cricket. Um, and for those of who don't know, sort of cricket is a is a game widely played in the Commonwealth countries. Um, And it's a bat and ball game, which is played basically between two teams. Um, There's there's 11 players on each team on a field. um, And, you know, they, if you've got a pitch, you've got a wicket and you hit it and you make runs. Um, It is typically, and especially when I was growing up, played by boys. Um, I understand there are a couple of women's teams right now. Um, but I grew up, um, around brothers and my, I remember my dad went on a business trip and I believe it was to the United Kingdom. And when he came back, he always bought us, you know, little gifts. And this trip, he brought, um, everybody, all the kids, a cricket bat and a ball. And I got one. 
Um, and until later in life, um, sort of it occurred to me that, yes, it, that bat and ball was more than a gift, right? It was giving me and handing me the power that I could do things that my brothers did, but also providing the insight for my brothers growing up that just because I was a girl, I shouldn't be uh, treated any differently. They should support me. They should play with me and not have me play different things to them. So it was kind of empowering. Unfortunately, as a kid, I, I didn't learn that until much later. Um, the cool thing was about the, the cricket is that I'm left-handed, um, always have been. And um, so I would uh, th- uh, sort of pitch the ball with my left hand and my dad taught me a left hand spin. And so as we got older and we played in the neighborhood with all the other kids who were mainly boys, um, you know, they all wanted me on their team because I could hit this left hand spin uh, that I didn't really know <laughs> I was doing. That's a great story, you know, um, to hear a lady playing the traditional gentleman's game and being good at it. What kind of ball was your favorite? Full toss, spin, bounce? You know what? I wouldn't know. I think it was just about hitting it. Later, though, I, I remember when I would watch cricket, I would go quite a lot to Lords with my dad. So my dad was a professional cricket player. Um and I would definitely wait for the for the left-handed balls just because that's what I knew, right? Um, that I, I would like watch them to see what they did um, with the with the left-handed players. So definitely, I got more into the game. But you know, as a kid, it's a kid, right? You just want to win. You want to make sure you hit as hard as you can. You want to make sure that you you know try and get the wicket on the other end. Um, so I don't know if there was any technical acumen that went into the play it was just you know let's get out there get dirty and win that's wonderful i appreciate you sharing that so then changing gears a little bit Mm -hmm. can you share a little bit about your current endeavor yeah sure so i'm currently the managing director of investment strategy at unreasonable group um, I joined Unreasonable Group about a year ago um, after a career of 20 odd years um, in um, law and business, both on the private equity and MA side. Uh, for those of you who hadn't, haven't heard of Unreasonable, um, Unreasonable Group is, is a company that, we, together with strategic partners who are global institutions, we run uh, immersive programs. Um, across the globe. And the idea is to drive value to entrepreneurs who are solving some of the world's um, biggest challenges. Um, A lot of them based around the UN, uh, the 17 UN uh, goals, the SDGs. Um, And what we do is following these initiatives, we provide the ventures continued support into perpetuity. And the way we do that is to leverage not only our global network, which is uh, comprised of corporations, institutions, governments, um, and mentors, but we also provide connections to our extensive network of investors that run from individuals to private equity. Um, And the idea is to help them through this at the growth stage, which is a critical stage, um, and to allow them to achieve high growth financial uh, returns, as well as realize tangible impact. Um, When I came in, we started the investment group. So traditionally, um, 
We don't invest in the companies directly, nor do we ask for equity. So to attend, to be invited to one of our programs um, has is no cost to the CEO. Um, but one of the biggest um, asks of the entrepreneurs was funding, right? Access to funding. Um, and so as head up as head of the um, investment group, we have a couple of tasks. Um, one is we'll be raising our first sort of large global fund. Um, we're uh, just putting sort of materials together, thinking around structure. Uh, the idea is to hopefully raise 250 million by some point next year. And that will be a different kind of fund. It will be rules-based and investments on a co-investment basis directly into the uh, companies that form the fellowship, so long as they satisfy certain rules. And I'll go into that a little bit. And the other is really to provide access to a broader spectrum of investors, in particular individuals, who wouldn't otherwise have access to growth stage companies, um, you know, and in particular diverse investors, because they bring diverse views, they bring um, alternative aspects from their lives into the investment field, but also provide an interesting network to join um, and to contribute to, as well as an education element. So uh, we're calling this our a sort of membership stroke syndicate program, and that should be launched in uh, fall of 2020. And all this is, is to drive both education, access, and investment into the entrepreneurs who are solving these problems. That's really interesting. And you mentioned toughest challenges. Can you give some examples of companies or entrepreneurs that you've seen attacking these toughest challenges? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of them, so it can be around the uh, circular and green economy. So climate change, um, alternatives to fossil fuels, um, agriculture, right? Uh, vertical farming is one of them. Access to alternative forms of uh, meats. Um, as we've seen during this pandemic, in particular in the US, there's a shortage of, of meat. Um, but there's also a fear, and I think New York Times wrote an article a couple of days ago um, about um, about this, uh, not only the shortage, but how clean really the, the, the meat is coming out of um, these production units. So we have a company within the Unreasonable Network called Memphis Meats, which is using cell-based uh, technology to create what I'm told, but I'm a vegetarian, so I wouldn't know, tastes like real beef or real duck or real chicken. Um, so companies like that, uh, companies in the technology space, uh, which uh, would have been regarded as maybe the future um, of the world, but is being used now, and that is around um, ed tech, um, AI, robotics, um, obviously, you know, all this video stuff that we're doing right now, um, in addition to access to healthcare, um, seamless uh, sort of technology that allows uh, medical professionals to do what they do and yet help people across the globe, even though they're they're based in one area. Um, so a really broad spectrum. I think the key for us is the amount of jobs that are being created, um, the reduction of, of um, greenhouse gases and emissions, and so the benefit to the environment, um, and the advancement of us as a human race so that we leave a better world for the future generation. 
Thank you for that. Um, you know, you mentioned quite a few different verticals here during the conversation. Yeah. EdTech jumped out at me because I know there's been acceleration, you know, in video learning, Zoom learning. I have kids yes. of my own. I kind of know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges that you've seen some of your portfolio companies experience during this time of the COVID? Yeah, so um, I think support, right? So what happened, um, it, you know, within a day or a couple of days, the entire global economy basically came to a standstill. Um, and so which really means from an investment perspective, a lot of the investment didn't dry up, just people sort of took a pause. Um, and a lot of investment firms said, you know what, we're going to make the decision to continue to support the portfolio companies that we currently are invested in, which is great, right? It shows shows your a shift and, and a support element that absolutely is needed. Um, there was a, a, a pause as well to think about, okay, what is the future of our investment look like as well? And so it meant from for companies in particular that were raising money right before the pandemic or before the designation of COVID as a pandemic, to from conversation to a standstill. Um, so that was one of it. The other ones we saw, the ones that were successful was those who were who were agile, right? They were able to rejig their technology or to reapply their technology and just get to work, get to to um, producing, developing what was needed during these times. Uh, so there's a positive and, and a negative. And then there were other companies that didn't seem so relevant right now that were probably struggling a little bit, you know. Um, but I think things are looking up Things uh, th- in terms of the impact in particular because I think globally and something like us, Raj, who we've been in this impact space for a while, have known for a long time that while these companies are designated as, you know, quote unquote, impact companies, they're actually high tech, high achieving, high profitability companies like others that you would see um, as sort of potentials for investment. They've just been designated as impact and therefore sometimes are subject to both lower valuations, um, the, you know, the um, uh, named as social enterprises and therefore the check sizes that uh, go into them from an investment uh, perspective are sometimes reduced. Um, I think if we can start thinking about them as just companies that are absolutely necessary to where we need to go as a global community um, and also in order to stop the discrepancies that we've seen even more during this pandemic from uh, inequality and access, I think we'll see a shift in the amount of money that is uh, sort of invested into them. So I want to hone down on that piece regarding inequality and access. But before I do, do you have any B Corps as part of your portfolio? Uh, Yes, um, definitely. So we are a B Corp too, unreasonable. Is a B Corp. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So let's go back to that piece about inequality access. You know, you mentioned diverse earlier. Yeah. You know, share with the audience why you think it's important, especially now. Yeah. So I, look, I I've always felt it's it's important. You know, growing up in a country where the differentiate between the differentiator between those who have and those who have not is so huge. It was something that was instilled in me from a really 
um, young age, uh, thanks to my parents, right, who, who provided us sort of exposure, but also, I think, tools in their own way of how, how we deal with this. Um, diversity is, I'll, I'll tackle diversity and then inequality. So diversity is really important because each person has, its, has their own story, right? And so with that story, they bring to the table a different perspective which means it broadens the knowledge that other people have in the same way as that I would learn because I wouldn't have the same story or the upbringing as our CEO, for example. And by, by allowing each other to express our views, but also taking those as learnings, I think we become a much stronger uh, organization. We become much stronger organizations, but we also become more accepting. Um, because you hear from people who are your colleagues, who are, who are trusted uh, partners, advisors, etc. The inequality, I think, is is a little bit harder, um, and it is something that I, I should sit on all our shoulders, right? And this pandemic has shown the absolute breadth of cracks in our system. Um, and I recently wrote an article, and in which. I reflected that actually in 60 years, so from when my mom was going through her schooling to now, we've actually not changed that much. Um, what we have seen is we just band-aid over issues um, and now it's like erupting. So uh, just through, if you focus on COVID, right, the number in, in the United States, but also in the UK, the number of um, deaths around people of color it, the percentage is shocking. Um, and if you look at it, they are probably the race that is socioeconomically worse off. Um, access to medical is worse off. Um, they are probably not just because of uh, income bases, etc., have the best maybe nutritional access. Um, and all this adds up, right, when you're trying to fight this. Uh, education is another one. Um, you know, my zip code or postal code kind of determines where I get to go to school unless I have access to private school. Um, in the same way, then, the community that's created around that is similar, right? Um, so so our, we start channeling uh, these parallel chains of thought because of you stick to your community, uh, you know, uh, you you invest in that community and then eventually you get out and you never come back and invest in that community uh, because you've now seen other things. And I think that, that that creates a spiraling effect that when we are in a pandemic is basically erupting. So I'm going to push back just a little bit because this is a question yeah. I get asked quite a bit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that, hey, Raj, or, you know, Van, in your case, it's a level playing field. It's a meritocracy. We all have the same opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. How, like, how would you answer that question? Well, do we? I, I think if you really thought deeply, um, I'm not sure we do have the same opportunities. Um, and, and I say that because um, public schooling, for example, right, take a basic need. Um, the funding to public schools is not huge, which means then teachers are underpaid. What you learn 
um, you know, is sort of limited. Whereas if you went to a private school, which is horrendously expensive and therefore can only be afforded to certain socioeconomic statuses, your access becomes much broader. Your learnings become broader. And then you get to mix and mingle with people in that same sort of socioeconomic level who just by, through statistics, get to go to um, much better schools, Ivy League schools, for example, in the United States. Uh, then you develop that network. Um, that network is what gets to go to, you know, um, MBA programs or graduate schools like Wharton and Harvard. And so this, you just cre start creating your own little circle. And the question is that if you infiltrate that as somebody who may not have been brought up in wealth through scholarships or however else, do you then really keep the door open for those people that would have been in your community or where you started? Or do you start molding yourself? into this new group of, you know, people who excel and stuff and may not look like you, um, but have become your circle. And so I, I personally, and just from what I've seen, don't think actually that <laughs> it's a meritocracy in, all, in, in its true uh, definition. You know, I, I don't too, and perhaps a younger version of me might have, There's been a couple of pivotal moments in my life where I realized it's not. And even from my own perspective, how fortunate I've been to go on the journey that I've been on. But I, yes. I strongly agree with you. Yeah. And it's quite obvious you're very passionate about this. And, you know, the crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. So, what you know, with your skill set, you mentioned law earlier and business. Yeah. Why did you decide to spend your time, your energy and dedicate your career to this particular path? Uh, you mean the impact? Mm -hmm, correct. Uh, yeah. So, you know, a few years ago, um, I, I uh, had the opportunity and I would say privilege, actually, to work on uh, or work with one of the largest um, impact funds there is. Um, and it is uh, TPG's Rice Fund. Uh, Bono, Bono's name uh, comes up very often when you talk about it. And when I sort of worked and worked uh, with that team, I realized that so much of the time, in particular, you know, sort of the learnings I had as a child was around uh, philanthropy and volunteering. And that was your sort of impact and social um, giving to, to uh, society. Um, I realized that we need to put the power uh, through profit, partnerships between private and uh, government organizations in the CEOs that are solving major problems. Um, and the way we do that is by investing in them and allowing them to determine their own trajectory from a business and profitability perspective, rather than with philanthropic, where you kind of dictate because it's whether or not you get donations, right? You're not really creating revenue in a philanthropic uh, setting. And it really opened my eyes to, What was important to me, uh, giving my, given my education, given my network, and where I could potentially have, you know, even if it's a small impact, it's pretty big for where I come from, um, which is where it sort of led me down to this, this impact 
uh, path and serendipitously, you know, sort of I got connected to Unreasonable through a mutual friend, um, initially actually just for, for a small project and potentially a, a mentor as a mentor for the organization. And I just loved what they did, how they did it, and really their values uh, spoke to me as well. So, you know, that's how I got into it. Why do I do it? <laughs> I think part of it is just just having been brought up in Kenya, and I know you didn't men- told me not to mention it again, but it really is, you know, sort of uh, sort of when you see the poverty at the level uh, that there is in in a lot of emerging markets. Um, the other is really one of the the keys for me is about caring about the future generation. So I don't have kids, but I, you know, I have six nieces, and I know you have three girls. Um, and I always think about the journey that sort of my grandfather and I believe Raj, your grandfather, we had, they had similar journeys um, came from. And then also like our parents and what they've they've kind of gone through. And had they not cared enough to endure the conflict, the racism, the the language barriers, we would be in a very different place. You know, my life would have probably been in a slum. Um, uh, who knows, right? Because we came from re- we uh, our family came from pretty much nothing uh, from my granddad's side, and then he came in 1914 to Kenya to build a railway. Um, but then it was really my dad who, at 14, left school and started working as a um, co-driver to a to a truck uh, driver. Um, for a, for a English paper company called Wigan Steep, and decided actually he wanted to be an entrepreneur, and that it was him who changed exactly what my life is uh, right now. And so I feel I have an obligation to this next generation to do something, and not only from a social, a financial, social economic perspective, but just globally. I mean, I, it it horrifies me what we're doing to the world. Um, and I was listening to something recently, and I feel like it was in a meditation. It could have been Sadhguru or somebody. So I I it, it I can't remember. But we said that you know, without humans, the planet would thrive. But yet, if we didn't, if we have butterflies or caterpillars or even certain plants that go extinct then just as a planet, we would start to whittle down. And I'm obviously completely mashing up the words, and he probably said it much more eloquently. But it really gave me food for thought that as a human race, we think we're above everybody else, but we're actually not needed from a planetary perspective. Um, So, yeah, so I want to change that. And I really want to be able to give opportunity to young women uh, who look like me, but you know, who may not look like me uh, and, and just need a helping hand to infiltrate the business world. You know, so much of what you said resonates with me. We still have a lot of family in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Recently, during the pandemic, they've been sending uh, photographs. We did a small uh, fundraising here in Dallas to send money back home for, not for the family directly, yeah. but to help feed some of the people that are struggling during the situation right now. Mm-hmm. But I think I think having feet in multiple countries really you know changes a perspective especially our impact and i think it 
personally, I'll speak for myself, mm-hmm. is that because we feel it more directly, it's almost like a visceral feeling for us when we see people that come from diverse backgrounds, other backgrounds, less than fortunate backgrounds, not being given opportunities. And, you know, to your point earlier regarding the network of how important that network is, mm-hmm. and something you said that's quite beautiful, just the imagery about, you know, leaving the door open or holding the door open for someone mm-hmm. and trying to bring them in. I think I think it's very powerful as opposed to the old uh, image regarding the crabs pulling each other back into the bucket. Yes. But um, I really appreciate you sharing that. And you said so many different things. What are some of the most important learnings you've had on your journey in impact? Yeah. Um, so I think that the if I look at the companies, you know, when I came into this job, I wasn't diving into exactly what these companies were doing. Um, and I've learned so much. You know, I've learned the importance of technology, clearly, in, in all aspects. Um, but I've also learned the importance of um, allowing CEOs who have lived a particular situation. Um, so let's take, for example, um, a, a person who grew up around farms or as, you know, in a community that was farming in India, for example. They see the gaps in what they need or what their community or country needs more than somebody who is using technology in say the US and then sends it to India to apply for example right um and so for me that was a real sort of eye opener and i probably knew it just wasn't at the forefront of of what i think about um is empower the ceo or that that the company that is doing it in the land that he or she knows best. Um, And then taking that also from a sort of a female perspective, a little bit broader in the sense that, you know, just as sort of men have their fantastic attributes, females have other attributes, but also have issues that they care about, but that they live every day, empower that person to develop and grow and uh, build a company that is successful for what that person has lived, experienced, because I guarantee you there's millions of other women who are going to use that product. But if we have investment committees that are not made up equally or are not diverse, um, they never understand the need of a specific thing as much as if you put another voice that is a female voice, a diverse voice into that. So that was definitely something that was a surprise for me to kind of, or a shift in the way I think, maybe not a surprise, a shift in the way I thought about a lot of these companies and what the, what they're doing. Um, the second is, um, it's not a, yeah, a surprise, but I also started thinking, why are we just, why are we calling them impact? This is a necessity. Um, And these are companies that are absolutely required to change the direction of where, which is not looking great, we are going, right? And so if we want to create a better world, if we want to create um, access, if we want to create equality, we need some of these companies. And so let's start thinking about them as necessities rather than just a social project um yeah i can i can go on i learned quite a lot of things during this last year 
You have, you have. Yes. And I love the idea of changing that uh, mind shift from impact to necessity. I think it would, um, I think it would perhaps not only change the way people think, but even perhaps change some of the directions the investment money flows in too. So I really yes. appreciate that. And what yes. you said dovetails into my last question very nicely, which is if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? Yeah, so what I shared, which is, you know, look, p bring people along on your journey, right? Let's not forget where we came from and how we got somewhere because I'm telling you, no, none of us are doing it ourselves, right? We each need champions. Uh, we each need a strong network and we each need sort of a, what I call a circle of love, but it's actually, it's, it's a circle of people who are, who are going to call you out when you need to be called out. Um, so that was one, you know, and I've speak, spoken about that a little bit. Um, make choices about where you're investing your money and how you're investing your money consciously. And what I mean is, you know, we make daily choices about food and clothes and where we want to go and how we want to do things. Um, but then when we have enough money to set aside and invest, do we as investors really ask? about what does your board look like? What does your investment committee, you know, who does that investment committee comprise of? Are you putting restrictions um, and barriers to companies that don't have diverse management teams? How much of your investment portfolio are you investing in women? How much is in, you know, CEOs of color? All these questions we should be asking if that's, if we're supposed to become a, just a better human race. Um, and the final one I will say is that, you know, let's just start showing up for each other. Um, I think it should be a prerequisite that we require equality um, and that we, we live to support each other. And I don't mean financially, right? I just mean as a human race. Um, so, so for me, that, that is definitely something that has really been forefront, sort of sitting at home and, and being cooped up, um, but then watching what's going on around the world. Van, thank you so much for sharing that. And I appreciate you for being a champion for the voices out there. You know, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? No, I just uh, gratitude, Raj. You know, um, I, I there is definitely a reason that we met not that long ago. Um, and just in these few conversations, you've given me a lot to think about, but you've also taught me a lot. Um, and I am truly appreciative of that. Van, thank you so much. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for listening. And if you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And if you want to show your support, please share our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.